Jan Reimer served as Edmonton's mayor for the first woman mayor for 1989 to 1995. Prior to that, she was a city councillor for nine years. Her many initiatives included Safer Cities, which the Conference Board of Canada cited as a model for bringing about strategic change and which the United Nations included in the United Nations Global Best Practice 100 list, a waste management plan that saw the introduction of the Blue Box program, eco stations, the toxic roundup composting, and a solution to the city landfill crisis, improving the water quality of the North Saskatchewan River, policies to promote equitable hiring practices, an economic development strategy for the city, the Edmonton Arts Council, the Aboriginal Advisory Council, preservation of the Edmonton's River Valley and the extension of the River Valley Trail System. As chair of the city's budget committee, she implemented a new budgetary process which won the city an international award of excellence. She has received a Woman of Distinction, uh, Woman of Distinction Special Award from the YWCA, an award from Spa, uh, Spare Society for the Protection of Agricultural Resources in Edmonton for her role in developing the city's historical policies and the restoration of the Gibson Block and was made an honorary member of the International Association of Mayors of Northern Cities. She received the Queen's Golden Jubilee Medal and was named one of the 100 Edmontonians of the century recognized during the city's centennial celebrations. Named a YWCA Women of Distinction, Jan has also received the Governor General's Award in commemoration of the Persons Case in 2006 and the University of Alberta's Alumni Award of Excellence 2007 for her ability to find local solutions to global problems and for being a force for positive change throughout her career. Jan Reimer is the Provincial Coordinator of the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters, an organization that supports a sheltering movement in Alberta and is a well-known resource on family violence issues and women abuse. She has served in this capacity for the last seven years and was instrumental in achieving core funding, salary increases to market levels for shelter workers, and in realizing a family violence protection strategy for the province of Alberta. The Alberta Council of Women's Shelters recently hosted the very first ever World Conference of Women's Shelters in Edmonton in September 2008, welcoming more than 800 delegates from 50 countries around the globe. Would you please help me welcome Jan Reimer. Well, uh, thank you very much, and thanks everybody for coming today to hear about something that often people don't want to talk about, and that is... uh, you know, violence against women, and particularly uh, uh, violence in the workplace. I'm really pleased, too. I see uh, Carrie Pott van here, who represents one of the members of the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters from uh, Harbor House, the YWCA. They do absolutely amazing work in this community, and it's uh, good to have the support from uh, one of our members here today.
Uh, I've called this uh, presentation, I Just Wish I Had Seen the Signs, because it's a quote that comes from a colleague of Leanna White. Uh, Leanna White was a nurse in Edmonton, or a unit clerk in Edmonton, whose uh, uh, husband killed her. And it, was, it dominated the news for a number of days because first he identified her as missing and then her body was found and um, uh, then he was charged and is now in jail. However, uh, it greatly impacted her colleagues in the workplace. Uh, one of the things that he would do every um, uh, morning was call to make sure that she had arrived at work. And uh, while some people may have cast that as a loving experience, it was really about power and control to make sure he knew at all times uh, where she was, which is one of the signs that we see in terms of domestic violence. Uh, domestic violence is something that, again, is uh, so prevalent. And you're asking, well, why am I showing you a cup of tea? Uh, well, in the time that it takes to brew a cup of tea in, uh, uh, you know, uh, for your, your break, uh, at least uh, three Canadian women are assaulted. Uh, and it's important to uh, bear that in mind. I wanted to tell you actually uh, three uh, stories, too, about how domestic violence can affect uh, the workplace. And the first one, these are more, uh, is a, a case that was, um, uh, came again to the paper, Sean White. And Sean White was a young man. He was off to, he had been off to, uh, had a date with a nice young woman the night before, and he was on his way to work when he was shot. And then people were wondering, well, why did this happen? Well, it turned out that uh, uh, the young woman who he had dated the evening before, uh, another young man, didn't like this, and so uh, uh, sought to end that relationship and did it by uh, shooting at Sean White. He survived, but his colleagues at work were traumatized. His family was traumatized, and Sean ultimately uh, left uh, the workplace and actually left the city uh, because of the trauma that he had to deal with. Another story that dominated the news several um, uh, summers ago was uh, the murder of Laurie DuPont in a hospital in Windsor, Ontario. And uh, Laurie DuPont was a nurse, and she broke off a relationship with a physician at that very same hospital. Uh, that physician actually had to go for a psychiatric uh, counseling, but no one ever told the psychiatrist that it was a domestic violence incident. Uh, the hospital, uh, then when he came back, uh, scheduled him on the same shift as Laurie. He came, stabbed her to death in the uh, hospital surgery. Uh, then left and killed himself. And that, too, had a tremendous ripple effect on all of the colleagues in that workplace. And the last story, of course, is the one which I started, which is Leanna White and the implications, again, for her colleagues in having to deal uh, with that issue. Uh, violence against women really is a pandemic. And, you know, we're hearing a lot about swine flu and all the attention around swine flu. Uh, and we wish that that same kind of attention would be given to what the WHO has also called a pandemic, and that is violence against women. And so I want to show you a short uh, video now that talks about and gives you an idea of how extensive violence against women is.
So that does give you an idea of, you know, just how much of a pandemic it is, that it's not only uh, here in Alberta, but all around the world. And um, as one of the colleagues of uh, Liana White said, I was unaware of the staggering statistics. And sadly, our province in Alberta is often a leader of the pack when it comes to these dismal statistics around domestic violence. Uh, we're number two in terms of domestic assault and homicide. And we see that uh, in the la over a period of five years, over 170 uh, domestic violence homicides occurred in our province. Uh, and, and again, uh, that's the tip of the iceberg, we believe, because often the police services aren't sure how to count a domestic violence homicide. And it, there isn't consistent counting, actually, across the province between police services in how this is done, though they are trying to, to work on that. But you add to that, some are never brought through the criminal justice system because there's not enough proof, or that uh, you see um, suicides that, you know, a fall down the stairs when maybe it was a push, and that, too, uh, is never proven. Uh, so very, very significant. And what we also know is that uh, there are eight attempted uh, femicides for every, uh, if you want to call it successful, uh, femicide that occurs. And in Alberta, from a women's shelter perspective, if you look at the last fiscal year, we had more than 12,000 women and children uh, come through the doors of women's shelters seeking safety. Uh, more than 14,000 called shelter, wanted to come to shelter, and the shelter wasn't able to accommodate them for a number of different reasons. Shelters fielded more than 70,000 crisis calls, again, people looking for help uh, from shelters. And we know that over half of the women that are coming to shelter are of Aboriginal background, which just speaks to the important work that uh, shelters are doing with uh, First Nations and Aboriginal communities. So uh, we are looking and trying to respond to this and came to a very unique uh, partnership with the Health Sciences Association of Alberta in trying to respond to this as an issue in the workplace. Uh, so for the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters, for those who don't know much about us, uh, we are a um, NGO uh, representing every women's seniors at a shelter in the province and uh, try to provide support to our members through networking, education, and, uh, and uh, policy development. Uh, we are also a member of the WHO's Violence Prevention Alliance. There are only two Canadian NGOs who have been asked to join that. We're one of them, and so we're quite proud of that. Um, and the Health Sciences Association of Alberta is a province-wide union representing healthcare workers and has chosen to fund this project. So we have ongoing funding for five years to look at developing appropriate tools for domestic violence in the workplace. And we're really appreciative of that because, you know, the Health Sciences Association has taken upon themselves to take on this issue because lots of people don't want to be branded with domestic violence and also that they're prepared to give that long-term commitment. So we're trying to do uh, a number of things. Uh, the first is to research, design, test, and distribute uh, resources for Alberta workplaces. And what the Health Sciences Association has said, we're not just wanting this for our members, we're wanting to make this available for employees and employers all across the province. Our problem is, once we started this project, everybody wanted it yesterday. 
uh, but we really want to have solid research and design and testing before we have a widespread distribution. Uh, we're also working as a, alongside that to develop workplace information to engage men in intervening in domestic violence. Uh, because our experience has been that we need men as allies to speak out about violence against women. Uh, for too long, it's been viewed as a women's issue, but it's a men's issue too. And as you saw in the video, it's your mother, it's your sister, it's your daughter. Um, these are things that are of concern to men as well. And we also know that when men call on, out the behaviors of other men, that's the most effective way to stop it. Uh, the Health Sciences Association also contributed to the first World Conference of Women's Shelters that uh, you heard about a little bit earlier. And we were really excited about that because it's never happened before. We had more than 800 people. And I'm just back from Ottawa. There's been such momentum behind it. We had some support from Status of Women. We were able to bring in shelter representatives from 14 uh, countries. And we are now establishing a global network of women's shelters. So that was great, exciting news last week. Uh, what we know in terms of violence in the workplace, it is the fastest growing category of workplace violence, that is domestic violence in the workplace. The International Labor Organization, they are a little dated in their work. This is 1998. We'd like them to get a little bit more current. But at that time, Canada was fourth in the industrialized countries in women reporting assault and sexual assault in their workplace. And we also know that less than half of Canadian workplaces have policies to manage the risk around violence in the workplace, let alone uh, domestic violence in the workplace. So you can see why there is such a need. We also know that 70% of domestic violence victims are impacted at work. And in Alberta, we have been partnering with uh, Resolve, which is a research institute across the three prairie provinces, uh, to follow women who have left a domestic violence relationship as part of a longitudinal study. And what we found in this case for those women is that the 68% of the women reported that her partner interfered with her at work, 50% said he harassed her at work, and 47% said they refused to let her go to work, which can explain some of the absenteeism that you see around a domestic violence. We know from the United States that over 75% of perpetrators who have been charged use workplace resources. And uh, this can be using the company car to check up on the woman and stalking her, using the resources in that way. I know one case in, in uh, from a... Uh, I guess a, a library was that the librarian, the perpetrator, in this case a male, was using the um, fax machine to send information about tax notices about his wife's property, who she'd left him because of abuse, and said, now send all the notices just to me, which the city did because it came on official paper. And uh, as a result, he never paid and she was left with all the tax arrears, which can amount rather significantly. So you can see how using workplace resources can have that impact on various forms of abuse. In Alberta as well, uh, what we know is that um, uh, for the partners of the women that we saw in the earlier slide, 76% had an arrest history and 64% had been convicted. So these may not be the kind of guys you want to have showing up at your workplace in any event. 
And so these are the kinds of things that we're saying employers need to consider uh, when they're looking at violence in the workplace uh, um, policies. And this is particularly important because Alberta's Occupational Health and Safety Code actually says in it that violence must be considered a hazard and that employers have to develop policies and procedures to um, address uh, this hazard. Uh, for those of you, you know, in the workplace, how many of you have ever had training on uh, violence in the workplace? One. And this is kind of consistent with when I go and ask people this question. It's, it's very rare. How many have had training on domestic violence in the workplace? One. Two. So again, uh, it speaks to that need of, of addressing this issue. So how does domestic violence uh, affect you? Well, it affects you in many different ways. Uh, you know, it affects the victims. It affects perpetrators. It affects responders, colleagues, bystanders, and then there's vicarious trauma. Uh, in the Jonathan Lell case, if you remember last summer, uh, the, ar the architectural intern who uh, went home and killed the roommate, his wife, and children, the responders to that incident uh, were severely traumatized themselves, and they too, the ambulance workers, the police services, they too uh, needed extra support and counseling. So it can affect the workplace in, in many different ways, as well as vicarious trauma. And this is certainly something that shelter workers can attest to because they hear these stories day after day, sometimes very horrendous stories of, uh, of brutality and violence uh, against women and children. Some signs of domestic violence in the workplace, and these are just a few, but to give you an idea, are things like unexplained bruising and injury, uh, changes in ability to concentrate, uh, missing work on a regular basis, sometimes being called to court cases in terms of, uh, you know, family, friends, and colleagues, unexplained absences, people getting upsetting phone calls throughout the day. You see people that are sad, lonely, withdrawn, and afraid and the increase in the use of alcohol and drugs to help deal with the trauma that's being faced at home. There's also a legal uh, uh, aspect to this from the Criminal Code of Canada that has to be borne in mind because if you are aware of these incidents and fail to take reasonable care, that can be in you know, the extreme uh, sense defined as criminal negligence. And so we have on one side the Occupational Health and Safety Code and at the other, uh, the criminal code in terms of legislation that does apply to the need to address uh, domestic violence in the workplace. I mentioned uh, Laurie DuPont earlier, and uh, there was a major uh, inquest into her death. And uh, Peter Jaffe, who was one of the expert witnesses, looked at all of the incidents that had occurred in that hospital uh, over the uh, course of this uh, relationship. And there were 84 critical events and missed opportunities uh, prior to her mur murder. So had people intervened appropriately, perhaps there may have been a different outcome. And you can imagine how this kind of finding also affects all of her colleagues and her friends. And, you know, the guilt that they carry in terms of if only I'd known those signs, if only I had done something. Uh, as part of our research, what we did is what uh, a root cause analysis. And so we were able to bring in uh, 
union leaders, business leaders, corporate leaders, lawyers to a, a workshop to look at, you know, what is the root cause of this failure to respond to domestic violence in the workplace so that we can best, you know, inform our work in terms of developing that toolkit. And here is generally what they told us. They said, overall, there's just a lack of awareness about domestic violence. People don't really know a whole lot about it, aren't talking about it, aren't recognizing it as a a workplace issue. And on top of that, then, there is a lack of policies and intervention procedures. People just don't know what to do or how to respond or what they might be able to do. Uh, as a, another piece of it they identified for us is that we do as a Western society accept uh, violence. It's in the media, it's in videos that kids are playing with, it's there all the time. And people are also prepared to accept undesired behavior in the workplace to a large point until they actually speak out against it. Uh, privacy was an issue. And we often hear about, oh, we have to protect everybody's privacy, and also it is a private issue. It's really not not any of our business. Uh, People are afraid. They're not sure what to do if they uh, raise this with a perpetrator. Uh, People don't want to talk about it. They don't tell their employers that they're in a domestic violence situation uh, looking for help. And then people just just don't know what to do. So that's what we're going to use to inform the development of our toolkit to make sure that we address these uh, different issues. Uh, This is the uh, picture of uh, Leanna White, who was murdered in 2005. And what her friend said, I could never have predicted that domestic violence would enter my life in this way. Um, And uh, it has in many ways, because she's had to go and attend court cases and be there as well, because of her relationship with Leanna. Uh, They have also, with her friends, done a lot of fundraising because Leanna left a little girl, Ashley, uh, who we believe uh, uh, likely uh, witnessed uh, the event herself as she's been traumatized, and they're trying to raise money so she can get the appropriate counseling and support she needs because there's not a lot of money for that either. And, you know, the little, she really... You know, they really are trying to do that. So they're fundraising, they're helping the grandmother, they're going to court, they're remembering, and, uh, you, know, it's, it, you know, it affects them a, a great deal. Um, and so that, I guess, is, uh, you know, really, um, you know, something that to consider when we're, we're, we're talking about domestic violence in the workplace. I'd mentioned, too, uh, that we're trying to invite men. This is a picture of Jackson Katz. He's one of my heroes. Uh, uh, he speaks out about violence uh, against women and has written a book, The Macho Paradox, and talks about how important it is that men's voices are heard on this issue. And uh, he says that men need to be persuaded that prevention is a widely shared institutional goal and that it is their responsibility to be as knowledgeable and proactive about these issues as possible. And he is living that. He's doing that all the time. He's speaking out against uh, violence against women. He's taken on some of the father's rights groups um, and has been a very articulate spokesperson. He's developed a program called uh, MVP, which is working with... um, uh, men's violence prevention, and it works with sports teams to show how uh, sports uh, figures can be role models for young men. And when you think about it, you know, if you have a, a sports hero 
come in, like uh, Steve Nash or Wayne Gretzky, I don't know, come in and talk to young boys. That's going to have far more of an impact than an old gray mayor here, you know, in terms of speaking about violence against women. And so we need those voices of men, and we've been working really hard to ensure that men's voices are heard along with women's and walk beside, because it is that if men are calling the behavior of other men and saying that's not okay, uh, those uh, men will stop that behavior. It's great prevention work if it's done soon enough. And so we're really trying to call to men to help to end uh, violence against women. So we invite you to take a stand to talk about this to your friends and your colleagues as a workplace issue. For those of you who might be interested, if you want to talk to me later about your workplace helping to test the toolkit, we'd love to work with you. And once that toolkit is ready, if you could help us spread the word, uh, that would be absolutely awesome. So that's my presentation. I thank you very much for coming today. And I understand now you're going to get fed, and then there'll be questions and answers. So thank you very much. Thank you.